the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. This is uh, the scripture we used last week. If you remember, we're in a series entitled the human condition. And last week, we had been, ta- well, before that, we'd been taking a high level view of the history of mankind from the book of Genesis all the way through. And now we've gotten to the point where Jesus is born. And last week, we just stopped and we read this scripture and we just stayed there and we didn't keep moving on. But I thought it was, it was a good place to stop. <laughs> Galatians 4. Verse 4 in the New King James Version says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now I see in that scripture it says, When the fullness of time has come on. Say the right time. See, we serve an on-time God. When the right time came, he was ready. He already had the answer. He's always had the answer. And he sent forth his son. So if Jesus is God's son, that makes him fully God. But it also says he was born of a woman, so that makes Jesus fully God and fully man. He's human. He's fully 100% human, but he's also Fully 100% God. And then it says he was born under the law. What does that mean? That, that, I believe that just simply states that he's playing by the same rules that me and you are. He was come down here and he's under the law just like we are. He's suffering the same temptations coming at him. Same trials, tribulations. He's facing them all. But we see that he did it perfectly. And that's one of the reasons he came, to show us how to do this deal, because it is hard down here. Temptations are pulling at us. This gravity is pulling. Everything is pulling. The devil's pulling us this way. You know, our wife's pulling us that way. (laughs) But he came to redeem those of us who were under the law that we might be adopted into his family. To redeem us from the curse of the law. You understand the law brought a curse because it, it made us realize our sin. And it made it's the strength of sin. is when we realize, hey, we're sinners and now we've got to pay the wages of it. And we were under a curse because of our sin. But he who uh, knew no sin became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And it's written that cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And Jesus became our curse so that we can be set free from the curse. Sort of like you could say, oh man, I've, I've got the flu today. Well, Jesus became your flu and your flu is taken away. But our infection was sin and he became sin for us. 
So last week we slowed our roll. I mean, we were just going through books of the Bible like this, you know, but we slowed our roll to observe the most important time in human history. You know, there was four whole books of the Bible written about the 33 years that Jesus lived on the earth. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're, they're written solely to, to document birth to after his resurrection, his 33 years here on the earth. You know, the birth of Jesus was the dividing line of all of history. When he was born, that was the end of before Christ, <laughs> B.C. That was the beginning of A.D., so he is the dividing line of all of time. You, and people think, well, who's this Jesus? He don't mean anything. Oh, my goodness. He means everything. They forget how important he is. The way he lived, his life divided everything else in the world. His birth divided time, but his, the way he lived divided light and darkness, spirit and flesh, even life and death itself. The way he lived showed us the difference in salvation and damnation. He was either the rock of ages or he's the stumbling rock that you go, that's going to pound you into dust. He's the rock of offense if you don't trust in him. What you decide about Jesus is that dividing line in the timeline of your life. When you die, guess what? You're either with Christ or you ain't. Just like B.C. ended and A.D. started, at your death, it's appointed a man wants to die. And then the judgment. And the judgment is this. What did you do with Jesus? So yeah, <laughs> who would say these are 33 pretty big years? Years in which he showed us what's up. Showed us how to do it. But he came with such purpose. You know, the Old Testament has 19 prophecies just about when and how and where he would be born. I mean, written up to a thousand years before Jesus ever came, you find out his gene genealogy, his lineage, whose, who, whose son would he be, whose grandson he would be, what line he would come from, what tribe, the place of his birth, even the stars predicted that would, the star of Bethlehem that, showed his birthplace. There's names given for him. They didn't come out and call him Jesus because the devil would be looking for every baby named Jesus but to kill him. But they called him Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. All those names are in the Old Testament predicting who he would be. They even predicted that the gifts that the Magi would bring to him when they came to him after his birth and so on. So there's just... Why did God give us all these prophecies? You know, there's over 300 mentions of the 61 major prophecies that Jesus' life fulfilled. In other, in other words, what I'm saying is, in the Old Testament, it mentions prophecies about Jesus 300 times, and if you condensed all those into what they were talking about, it was, it was 61 prophecies that Jesus' life fulfilled in the Old Testament. What was Jesus' accuracy rate? Did he fulfill 75%? How many thinks he made 80? 30%? Of course. 
He's perfect in everything he does. 100%. I was reading an article and it said some mathematicians, they calculated the odds against one person fulfilling just eight of those prophecies. They just took eight of the 61 and said, okay, let's look at them and what's the odds of one person you know, being born in this particular town. You know you can't choose where you're born, right? Or when you're born, or how you're born. Or... And so they, they calculated what's the odds of just these eight prophecies that Jesus isn't who he says he is. And they said the odds that he is not who the Bible is talking about, he is not the Messiah that God has promised in the Old Testament, are one and 10 to the 21st power. Now, I'm not a mathematician. And I, that just, I, I believe, I'm not sure, but I believe that's the number 10 and then 21 zeros. That would be one out of that many would be the chances that he's not. They explained it like this, made more sense to me. They said, first, blanket the entire earth with a mass of silver dollars 120 foot high. 120 foot, what's this roof? 10 foot? 12 foot maybe? Okay, imagine 10 times this high and you fill the earth with silver dollars that high. That includes the Pacific Ocean, Atlantic Ocean, all the oceans, 120 foot high with silver dollars. Second, specially mark just one of those silver dollars. Just one out of those millions and millions and trillions of silver dollars that it takes to fill the earth with 120 foot high of silver dollars. Third, ask a person to travel the earth, spin him around, put a blindfold on him, and tell him to go out there and grab one. And that the chances of him grabbing that one that you marked are the same odds that Jesus is not the Messiah that God promised when he prophesied all those prophecies about him. And the world has such a hard time believing. They don't want to believe. You can believe what you want to believe, but believing in God is not hard to do. If you just use your brain. We're not just, it's not just a, a leap of faith, so to speak. But it's, it's, it's something easy to believe. But we're talking about a time when the glorious king of the armies of all of heaven came down to the earth at just the right time. In the fullness of time, God reached down and helped man, helped to save us. I was praying this morning uh, pretty early, about six, six o'clock, and walking around the pool at home, as I often do, and I was just praying. As I was walking around, I'd get to the steps on the front of the pool. Many of y'all have been swimming at my house. I've got little white steps, plastic steps. And there were three poor little bugs, little hard shell bugs with green on their back, had like eight, ten legs apiece. And they were seeking sanctuary from the water. They, they were up on the top step trying to get out of the pool. And boy, they were just going at it. And little eight legs, just a kicking. And they was trying to get up that plastic front step. And they'd get maybe an inch. And they'd slide back down. And they'd go again, and they'd slide back down. And they were just trying their best. I, and I was walking around praying. I thought it was funny at first. And I walked around, come around 645. I'm thinking to myself, you know, when uh, at 7 o'clock, the pool timer 
makes the pump come on, and it's going to start shooting water out and circulating the water, and that's probably going to kill them bugs. And they're going to get drowned when that happens. They only got about 15 minutes left to live. I said, well, that's cool, so I'm going to walk around, you know. And I said, well, I can't just leave them there, poor little bugs. You know, I'm not a big bug man, but, but I don't know. I was trying to think of something to do, so I saw a water bottle off the steps, and I got it and brought it over here and put it on the first step. And I, and I said, maybe they can climb out of that. And I don't know what I was thinking. How are they going to climb up a water bottle if they can't climb up the steps, you know? So that didn't work. The next time I came back around the pool praying, I looked over there, and they were all huddled up by the water bottle kind of hiding and I thought you know that water bottle is a lot like the law people huddle around it but ain't nobody climbing it and so I said you know it's about 6.55 now they got about five minutes left what am I going to do and I'm looking around I wanted to find a piece of cardboard or something to scoop them up but I couldn't find anything I saw some branches that you had cut and put that little bucket thing and so I got a leafy branch out of there and I went over there and laid it in the pool and made sure it climbed out and I said okay guys get up on that that branch and climb out if you got any brains you know what I found bugs ain't got no brains <laughs> they're just going around the thing you know going back up and trying to get <laughs> In Jeremiah 23, 5, it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness on the earth. In other words, I'm going to send you a Messiah. But did the people believe? Most of them didn't. They just kept running around. They're too dumb to learn to climb the branch to safety. Have you ever asked yourself, how did people get saved before Jesus came? Has that ever been something you thought about? He did? did? Did you have an answer? Well, maybe I can help you. Uh, people in the Old Testament got saved the same way we do. We're not saved by climbing real hard and trying to work our way out of this pool, this cesspool called earth. No, we're saved by faith. We're saved by God's grace, but it's through our faith. And we're looking back at a risen Messiah. We can look back and see that Jesus came and God's asking us, did you believe that my son came? Will you trust him for your salvation? People in the Old Testament are saved in the same manner, except Jesus hasn't come yet, but all these prophecies are telling the people that Jesus is coming, and the question for them becomes, do you believe he's coming? So they're saved on credit. Jesus hadn't come yet, but, but they're saved because they believe he will, and so they're living their life righteous. Because they believe that Jesus is coming. And so it says Abraham was the father of our faith, right? God counted him righteous, saved, right with God because of his faith. He it was counted to him that it was said that he believed God. And so they believed God and they were counted right with God because of their faith. They believed that the Messiah was coming. We believe that the Messiah has come and he has risen and his name was Jesus. I think it's easier on us.
It should be. Well, I'm talking about the people that were before Jesus in, in the Old Testament. Some of them got to see him. Yeah, these, these that lived during these 33 years got to see him. And I don't know what their excuse was. When they got to see the miracles and hear him preach. But anyway, it's 659. And these bugs ain't climbing my leafy thing. And I think to myself, do I have to come down there and get you? And tonight's message is entitled, Don't Make Me Come Down There. <laughs> but see, that, 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 that didn't, that's a funny title, but that isn't Jesus' heart. You see, he's not saying, don't make me come down, or I don't want to have to come down, or, don't make me get my belt off. That's the way we see God, a lot of us, but that's not God's heart. Jesus' heart is, Father, let me go. Let me go get them. I can't wait to go down there and save them. I, I know not, most of them are not going to believe in me. I know they're going to mock me. and I know they're even going to put me on a cross. But Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Let me go for the ones who will. Let me go and give them all a chance. I, I, I can't stand to see them sitting there trying to work their way out of this pit where there's, there's no answer. I'll be that leafy branch. And, I, and if they won't believe it, I'll go down there and I'll, and I'll show them how much I love them. I'll go down there and prove myself, prove my love to them. Let me go, Father. That, see, that's Jesus' heart. Before Jesus came, though, God sent a forerunner. His name was John the, the Baptist. Why, why do you suppose God sent John the Baptist? What did John the Baptist preach? He preached a message of repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he baptized people with water for the repentance of sin, for the remission of their sins. So God knew what he was doing. He was preparing the ground. He was preparing the people's heart. He was softening their heart to show them a need for repentance. He was, he was coming in there and telling them like it is. He was saying, you know, the axe is fixing to be laid to your tree. What are you going to do? You know, you better get your life right. And he was showing them the need to be saved. And so, we, you know, a lot of times today we just preach the gospel, you know, just come on, get this free ticket to heaven. And people don't have any repentance in their heart and they just want a ticket to heaven. They just, oh, it's an add-on. Ah, that's all right. But they don't, it's not their life. They don't, they don't understand the seriousness of what they do. And so they're not truly converted. They don't truly believe. But in Acts 20, 21, Apostle Paul says it's repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't have true faith in your Savior unless you believe that you need saving. That He is a Savior. So you don't see Him in the proper context and understand what He's done for you. You don't have faith in, in, in the finished work of Jesus Christ unless you understand the, the ramifications of what happens if you don't get saved. Does that sound plausible to you? Am I just making this up? In fact, when we teach our Dare to Share 101 class, um, I usually teach one of the four nights, and, and mine's called Get Them Lost Before You Get Them Found. I mean, that's one of the main things about teaching people how to reach. You know, that's what the whole Old Testament is for, to show us our need for a Savior. And so 
You got to get them lost before you can get them found. Or they'll just be playing church on you. But it, So God had the foreknowledge to send someone to prepare the way for the Messiah. His name was John the Baptist. And then God chose a virgin to give birth to his son. Have you ever thought about why he did that? Like I said earlier, so that he could be fully God and fully man, and he could be born as a man without the sin nature that a father passes down to his child. If you look at Romans chapter 5, you'll see the sin nature is passed down through the father. You remember it was Adam that sinned, even though Eve ate of the apple first. Uh, there's a go-to person or a go-to place I get a lot of my information. It's called gotquestions.org. It's called Google. No. But they say the virgin birth circumvented the transmission of the sin nature of man and allowed the eternal God, Jesus, to become the perfect man and the perfect sacrifice, thus being the perfect sacrifice. You know, if he would have been born with a sin nature and born into sin and just like we are then he could have only paid for his own sins on he couldn't even have done that he had to be the perfect living true god fully god and fully man to meet the qualifications to be able to pay for our sin and so of course you know being born without sin is a good start which none of us are but jesus also had to live without sin and what he did, basically, is he, put, he hit the reset button on the, the mess Adam made. You know, Adam was without sin at first, and he chose to sin. Adam says, not your will, God, but mine be done. And Jesus came in, in the second garden, and he says, nevertheless, not my will, Father, but yours be done. And he put a reset for mankind. And so now, if we put our faith in him, we can be saved, his finished work on the cross. And so he was born of a virgin. The king of all of heaven's armies was born into a lowly manger. Why was that? I'm just asking a lot of questions tonight. Well, I mean, I was thinking if I was going to be God come down to the earth, I thought it would have been cool if he'd have flown in on like a 747 back way before they knew that man could fly, you know. Or come in on a helicopter or ride in and... You know, on a stretch limousine, they're like, oh, you know, making an entrance. I thought, I thought he could get a lot more attention like that. Turn to Philippians 2, verse 5, and we'll see why he didn't. It's his attitude. Say it's his attitude. You must have the same attitude. That Christ Jesus had. See, he came to be our example. He didn't, want to, he didn't want to live above us or have privileges that we didn't have. Then, he, then we could say, well, now that was Jesus. But what's our excuse now? This guy was born in a manger. Which one of us can say, well, you know, I've been poor all my life, so I didn't have the advantages Jesus had. No, you must have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to, and he left his divine privileges. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position. 
That's hard for us to do, isn't it? That's hard for us to even imagine sometimes, being taking the humble position. I was proud of you, Michael, the other day when you took the humble position, when that lady, you, you had every right to get mad at that lady at the store, but you didn't. You took the humble position. You was like Jesus. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. You see, for Jesus to be king of all the universe and to limit himself in this body and this flesh that we live in, oh my goodness, he's enslaved now. He once was everywhere, now he's enslaved in, so that he could be one of us. And boy, you're talking about a humble position for God to take. We just take that for granted. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. It's, it's staggering to the mind. In Matthew eleven twenty nine, 29, he tells us to take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Why? Because I'm humble and I'm gentle at heart and you'll find rest for your souls. Look, I'm not, I'm not a hard taskmaster. I'm easy to deal with. Just come with me and I will love you through everything. Has that been your experience? Has he ever been nasty with you? He's not the God that, that the world says he is. He's humble and lowly at heart. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hadn't you experienced some of that? I mean, I look at my life now and just tears just well up in my eyes. Not, all the grace that he has shown me that I did not deserve. Of course, that was, that's what grace is, something you don't deserve. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. So that by his poverty, you could be rich. You could... It can make you rich. He wanted you to be rich. He wanted to exchange his righteousness for your unrighteousness so that you could be right with God. He wanted to pay your penalty so that you could be free. And he was so humble and so lowly. And because he was willing to go to the lowest parts of the earth, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess to the glory of God. Because he, he was willing. And think of what God would do for you if you were to humble yourself more. You would take the humble position in this life. Why do you go to law with your brother, Paul says? And, and then again to a, a pagan judge. And let somebody that's not even of God decide between matters. He said, isn't there somebody in the church that you could take your dispute to? And he, he said, well, why not even rather just let them harm you? Than to, why not take the humble position? Why not think more highly of somebody else than thinking more highly of yourself than you ought? We think of it as a sign of weakness in our, here in America because we're all just get her done people. And you know, uh, it's all about pride. Have, have pride in your work. Have pride in your life. No, no, God says don't have pride. Have humility. Now, <laughs> meek doesn't mean weak. Meek means power and strength, but it means power and strength under control. You can be humble, but you can still stand up for your rights. 
You can still do the right thing. It's not letting the world run over you. But sometimes it is forgiving people when they don't deserve it. And such. The examples that Jesus gave us. Who did Jesus reveal his birth to? Do you remember? Everybody. <laughs> Everyone to the, to the lowest of the shepherds out in the field, to the richest of the wise kings. God moved the very stars of heaven in alignment to point us to, towards this very special event. Even today we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ so that the whole world may know on this day a Savior was born. 1 John 4.14 says, Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. The whole world. Because the very next word after world is what? All. And what does all mean in the Greek? Still means all. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. And see, he's not willing that any should perish. It's this message of his birth and this message of his death and resurrection is for all men. Well, he's born. He's uh, circumcised on the eighth day. They prophesy over him. And about that time, God tells him, y'all got to move. Y'all got to go head off to Egypt because Herod's killing all the baby boys. See, immediately, the devil comes to steal the word. The word is born. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and immediately the devil came to steal him. But God saw it beforehand, sent him off to Egypt. Why'd he do that? Because in Matthew 2.15, it says, This fulfilled what the Lord had spoken through the prophet. And the prophet was Hosea, chapter 11, verse 1, in case you're interested. I called my son out of Egypt. See, he's still fulfilling prophecies. See, God doesn't want there to be any question of whether this is the Messiah or not. He fulfilled all 61 prophecies. So you can be 100% sure that he's the one. When uh, Herod dies, God calls him back to live in a little old humble country town named Nazareth. The people used to say, is any good thing come out of Nazareth? Oh yeah. Something really good came out of Nazareth. And we don't really hear from Jesus again until we see him at 12 years old in the temple in Jerusalem. And they've gone there for a holiday, the Passover, and, and they, his family leaves and they forget poor little Jesus. He's 12 years old and they go back to the town and look for him. And they found him of all places in the temple, the Jewish temple. And he's talking with the temple leaders. And, and his mama says, Jesus, don't you know how bad we've been looking for you? He said, Mama, don't you know I must be about my father's business? At 12 years old, he knew what life was all about. How many of you had a clue what you were supposed to be doing at 12? And he says he was talking to those religious leaders and asking questions, and they were marveling at his questions. 
I bet he was smarter than all of them at 12 years old. Goes on to say in Luke 2.51, then he returned to Nazareth with his family and was obedient to them. Say obedient. Well, if there anybody on earth had a right to not be obedient if they didn't want to, wouldn't it be the son of God? Who am I going to listen to a bunch of earthlings down here? That'd be like me listening to those little three hard shell bugs. Isn't that true? But he was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Listen, what do we get out of that? Jesus was obedient. He was growing in wisdom, and he was completely about his father's business. Three things. Jesus continues in these three simple traits until the age of 30. That's all he concentrated on, from what I can see in the Bible. I don't know. Maybe he was, did he play soccer? I don't know. But I do know this. He was obedient to his parents. He searched out God's wisdom, and he was completely sold out to whatever God wanted him to do. What if we'd have lived our lives like that? How far along do you think we'd be? Just three things. What if we could just teach those three things to our children? Some of them, most of us probably got, it's too, a little too late for that. But maybe you got grandchildren on the way. What, what if you could do all within your power to teach them to be obedient, to seek after God's wisdom, and to know that God has a special purpose for their life and to follow it with their whole heart? And that's all Jesus did that I see in the Bible. For 30 years. And then what happened? The three most world-changing years in human history began. He did three things for 30 years. And then for three years, he changed the entire world as we know it. Jesus is baptized to start his ministry. And you might think, why would, why would Jesus need to be baptized? He doesn't. He, he's without sin, right? Isn't it a baptism of repentance, water baptism to take away the sins? Well, he tells us in Matthew 3.13, says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you're coming to me? You coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. There he is. He's still making sure that he's on God's plan. He's fulfilling everything that he needs to do. He knows there's purpose but behind every little thing. And sometimes God, maybe you're somewhere in your life and God's trying to say, I need you to do this, to fulfill this in your life till I can get you to the next spot. But you're arguing about that one little thing. And then he allowed him. And when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Does that sound like God? 
So he got baptized to fulfill the law. And in the process of getting baptized, he got filled with the Holy Ghost. He got filled with the Holy Ghost. Why? Because he needed it for service. He, kn he knew that he would need to be filled with the Holy Ghost to minister unto his God. And then, after he got filled with the Holy Ghost, check this out. He was publicly confirmed and ordained for service by God in heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He's commissioned by God himself. He fulfills all righteousness. He gets filled with the Holy Ghost. And he gets ordained by God in a matter of seconds. And what comes next is mind-boggling. Three years that would turn the world completely upside down, and we're not going to be able to get to it tonight. But we will get to it next Wednesday. But we're going to, we're going to wrap up from here. But to recap real quick, tonight we've learned that Jesus' birth divided time as we know it. It sent stars into action. Jesus fulfilled God's promises, every one of them, 100% through the prophets. And he did so humbly. He was not willing that any of us should be trapped in the pool. Jesus set the example by being perfectly obedient, ever learning, and being completely sold out to the Father's business. You know, I made it sound like it's too late for us, but it's not. You can start that right now. You can say, I'm going to be, from now on, I'm going to be perfectly obedient. I'm going to seek out God's wisdom, and I'm going to be sold out for the kingdom. I'm not living to, for that paycheck at the end of, on Friday. Those people don't own me. I'm bigger. My sense of purpose in this life is much bigger than a job. My spouse don't own me. Right? Right? See? No. Jesus didn't sidestep the law. He didn't abolish it. He came and he fulfilled it. And next week we're going to see what it would he would accomplish in just three years. What a time. I wish I'd have been there to see it. When God came down to save a bug like me. Them bugs? Well, you know, it was almost seven. And, you know, I don't really like bugs. And I don't really just touch them voluntarily. But I didn't have any cardboard or anything, so I did kneel down. <sighs> I put my hand up there and kind of one of them scurried underneath one of them and, and he got up on my hand and I, and I put him out. And he immediately took off for the greener green grass of home. And then the next one, I, I got him and I put him on, on the solid rock. Of course, we call it concrete around the pool, but I set him, I set him on the solid rock. And he just stood, stood there. And I got the next one and I put him there and he just stood there. And I stood up. And I just washed him. I said, what are y'all doing? Just hanging out by the pool, I guess. I guess, I don't know. 
But then my little Dotson dog, come along. And she was fixing to eat them, but one of them scurried off to the green, green grass. And I said, yes. And the other one jumped in the pool. The last I saw him, he was swimming off toward the deep end and the pool pump came on. So I don't know what happened to that guy. I know what happened to that guy. What's the moral? We can't save ourselves. We're just spinning our wheels. Trying to work our way to heaven. Reach out, take God's hand. Let him pull you up out of this miry clay and run for the green, green grass of home. Heaven. Run God's race. Don't sit around at the edges of what God saved you from because you're liable to get eaten. Or you're going to fall back into what God rescued you from. So stay away from that. Go on and run your race. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.